Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I knew that if I bought like a really, really shitty guitar, I wouldn't play it. So I asked my dad for my birthday. He said, "What do you, you know? Do you want a birthday present this year?" And we were never like a big birthday gift family, but I was like, "I really would like a nice guitar, and I know that will guilt me into playing it." And I did. Welcome to episode 27 of Varvet, this time with Joshua Radin. I'm Christopher Triumph, and normally I present a sponsor here, but today I won't. And I think Acast has a, a plan for that. But if you need to get the word out there to thousands of smart listeners in Sweden, the UK, US and Norway, for instance... Send uh, Acast an email, and that is sales at acast.com. Today's guest is the incredibly pleasant singer-songwriter Joshua Radin. And his fantastic story began a little over 10 years ago like this. I should know who I am by now. I walk. The record stands somehow Thinking of winter Your name is the splinter inside me While I wait Yeah, his first song ever that's playing right now, Winter, ended up in the show Scrubs and everything has been going his way ever since don't worry we will get back to how annoying that is in a bit but it's also very inspiring he was struggling with other artistic outlets for half his life and then he picked up the guitar and it all fell into place so to speak his music has found its way into over 75 different tv shows and movies to date and that has to be some kind of record at the beginning of 2015, Joshua released his sixth album. It's called Onward and Sideways, and he has been touring with it over the last few months. That's why I got to see him on a short promotion stop in Stockholm. He was worried that he wouldn't have enough to talk about, so he ran off to get his guitar before the interview, and he will use it in a little over an hour. So that being said, here's Joshua Radin. Roll the tape, please. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So how much uh, time have you spent here? Well, I've been here for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, this, this time. Mm-hmm. I got here on Saturday. But I've been coming here 
off and on for maybe six, six years, six and a half years. How did it start? It started, what was that, maybe 2008, 2009, something like that, where I, my first song to be on the radio was being played on Swedish radio. So I came here to play a concert, not knowing anything about Sweden, except that it was just a land of blonde people, <laughs> you know? And uh, I fell in love with it when I first came. And the Swedish people embraced me immediately. And I, I just figured, uh, all right, well, this is one of those places I'm going to be coming forever. And then you found a Swedish girlfriend as well. But I that did, was but that, that was only about a year and a half ago. Yeah. But that made perhaps the bond even stronger. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I fell in love with Sweden long before her, years before her. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, what was amazing about Sweden was the first time I toured in Europe was supporting Tori Amos. It was one of my first tours ever, right when I started playing music about, I don't know, maybe 2000 and seven or something like that and it was the time when george bush was still president oh i can't remember exactly what year this was but and obviously extremely unpopular not only in the states but uh even more so around the world and i found myself having to apologize for america everywhere i went we went on a tour through europe but a lot of the countries were eastern europe like Czechoslovakia and Slovakia, Slovenia, Hungary, uh, and a lot of these places um, where, unlike Sweden, a lot of the people were very not interested in anything Americans had to say at the time. And having to apologize everywhere I went, it was very exhausting. Every time I'd play a show, and then I'd go out to a bar with friends or the band, and we'd all go out and try to meet people and kind of learn about the city we were in, and people would hear us speaking And say, you know, just like, get away. You know, we don't want America. It was very, it was very uh, disconcerting. And when I came to Sweden for the first time, people started telling me, oh, we're like the 52nd state. You know, it was so pro-America and pro-American culture. And Then I'm wondering, which is the 51st? Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So immediately it was like, okay, I get, you know, when you're a kid growing up in America, you're like, oh, I never got to travel in Europe as a, as a young kid. So I'd have these fantasies about European travel. And so, like I said, when I came for the first time and people were very anti-American, it was, it was hurtful. And it yeah. was, it was like your, your dreams have been shattered, you know? And, uh, so when I came to Sweden, like it was just amazing. I could be in Europe to see all the old buildings and this old history and culture and where people speak English so perfectly. And so I didn't feel so foreign It was like the best of both worlds. I get to be in Europe and meet all these amazing people, but also people were liking me too. They they wanted to hear about my culture or where I come from. Or, so immediately, that was like one of the first times I've been in Europe and I felt that way. And so I immediately felt comfortable and at, at home in a way and I've been coming ever since. Would you say that now you've uh, you've got some friends here as well and I do. so forth? So would you say that that's, a Swedish thing that we are interested in other people or I don't know I couldn't say I I, I couldn't say for everybody but I, I I have talked to some friends of mine that were that visited Sweden years ago and you know just for like a few days on a business trip or something like that and they said it was a little difficult to break into the Swedish culture like they found Swedes to be a little cold and I found the exact opposite So I think it depends on, you know, I came here with a song on the radio. 
I was meeting people and they were like, oh, I like your, your music.、Mm. So I couldn't tell you how it is to come here for the first time, not knowing anybody, just getting off a plane and walking around and trying to meet people. That might be more difficult. I don't know. But I came in a very different circumstance, luckily. So my experience has just been amazing. In my interviews, I, I tend to go way, way back. And、uh, as I understood, you're from Ohio. Correct. Place called Shaker Heights. Yeah, it's a suburb of Cleveland. You're the second guest I have from Cleveland. Oh, who's the first? The mistake on the lake. <laughs> Or, as George Washington called it, the greatest location in the nation. Aha,、uh-huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the first one? James Fry, the author. Is he from Cleveland? Yeah, I think so. I didn't so. know that. A Million Little Pieces, right? That exactly, book? yeah. I, I never read that book. I just remember Oprah, Oprah shattering him、yeah. <laughs> on TV. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. I re- deeply recommend it. It、okay. changed my life. Really? Yeah, it did. Wow. So it, for me to interview him, that was a, a big one. Did you interview him before or after you found out that part of it was fiction? After. After, okay. Yeah, that was years later.、Mm. I didn't really care. I、mm. mean. Hey, a good story is a good story. Exactly. Yeah, storytellers, you're allowed to have. I think you should. All storytellers should, should be allowed a little artistic license, some leeway. Absolutely. Bob Dylan's my favorite songwriter ever. And I mean, I don't think he ever told the truth in any interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you've been talking about that truth and honesty that you're sort of trying to, to close in on 100%, I would assume. Is that. That's, that's, I don't know. I wouldn't say 100%. There's always artistic license. Yeah. You know? But as long as the feeling is, is true, I think that's the most important thing. You know, sometimes I don't worry so much if my song is literally the truth. It's, it's more about、uh, if, I'm, if I feel something and I want to get it out and get it across to a listener, if I do that, if I'm successful with that mission, then I don't mind taking some artistic license. No. I just realized that this room has a sort of a strange acoustics. I guess that it has to do with its、uh, roundness. Maybe.、But、I don't hear because I'm not wearing headphones. No, but did you write your album in one of these rooms?、Uh, I、round? did, but it wasn't round.、Okay. It wasn't as nice as this room. <laughs> <Okay> . It was a cheaper one. It was, yes, it was a less expensive one. I was staying here for a while. Yeah. I don't think I could afford this room for, for a month and a half. Uh, I think you could. <laughs> I don't think so. This is nice. <laughs> anyway, Shaker Heights. Yes. Is that Shaker like the people with the furniture? Yeah. You know what? I don't really know. It must be from the same. But I, I remember as a, as a kid,、uh, a school field trip. I think we were in first or second grade or something like six or seven years old. And we went to go see some Shaker museum, you know, all the furniture they built and stuff like that. But I don't know so much about the Shakers. Um, I don't know anything about the Shakers except、uh, that they put chairs on the walls. <laughs> do they? I don't know about that either. I think so. so. You, you probably know more than I do. No, but that's it.、Oh, oh, that's the, still more than I know. <laughs> is it? Yeah. <laughs> what, what about the museum trip? Oh, well, again, I was probably six or seven years old. I just remember a lot of, like, I remember thinking it was very, like, Amish. Like, you know, they were very、uh, a simple religious people who were carpenters and. Striving to lead a very simple, simple life. Are they still around? I'm not sure. We have to look that up、yeah. on. on That's <laughs> a good question.、Yeah. You know, no one's ever asked me that about being from Shaker Heights and having anything to do with the Shakers. 
I never thought about it. One point to me then, perhaps, yeah. in originality. Hashtag winning. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe I could have Googled shakers on beforehand. That would have made it more interesting, perhaps. Well, no, we'll let our listeners uh, Google it. Yeah. Anyway, so what was it like growing up there? Is it a middle class uh, area? It was a very, very wealthy suburb in like the 1920s. And then... Uh, started to more and more people it was one of the first suburbs outside the city of cleveland was it the motor i mean steel yeah okay steel yeah, yeah. motor city would be detroit it was All like right. where motown and general motors and but cleveland and detroit are, are quite similar in the sense cleveland hasn't had as many hard times recently as detroit but uh we had a bit of a renaissance maybe 15 years ago uh, the downtown area started to uh become a little a little bit more built up and new stadiums for sports teams and things like that. But um, it's still one of those cities. Have you traveled around America? Not really. I mean, I've, I think I've been in Ohio, but I, I was in Cincinnati and that okay. was 20 years ago. So it's, it's a similar kind of, a lot of the Midwestern cities are very, they're like small Chicago's Chicago being like the New York city of the Midwest. And uh, then there's like 20, Midwestern cities like Des Moines and Minneapolis and Cleveland and Detroit and, you know, Cincinnati and all these cities that are, if you grow up there in the suburbs and you meet someone from one of the other cities in the suburbs, it's, you had the exact same experience growing up. Okay. And what is that experience? Nice, honest people, not taking themselves too seriously, but a lot of passive aggressivity. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Why, why is that? I don't know. It's something about the Midwest that, uh, You're taught to be very nice and polite, but we're still human beings. So we still have an aggressive side like any other human being, but we're, I guess it's, it's smoothed over a little bit. So um, I find that uh, when I moved to New York, I lived in New York for 10 years and people were really in your face in New York. It's not passive aggressive. It's just aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. started watching a documentary about uh, <laughs> what's, the, what's the greatest boxer ever. Uh, Muhammad Ali? Thank you. He's from Louisville, Kentucky. Is that right? Yeah, that should be... It's one of those cities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but a little more southern. I mean, Kentucky is... Uh, <laughs> it's a little backwards. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I like the city of Louisville. It's mm. just across it's the border cool. from... from uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. I was thinking that maybe it raised, obviously raised a very good boxer. Mm. Maybe that has to do something with aggression as well. Mm, I don't know. I'm out on a Maybe. limb now. Yeah, yeah. it could be. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure that you have this in in the US at all. But in Sweden, we talk a lot about jante, the the janta law. Did you hear about that? No. It's a Norwegian thing originally that you you shouldn't think that you are someone. Oh, uh, I see that a, a quite a bit here, actually. Exactly. You shouldn't uh, brag and so yeah. forth. And. Uh, That's sort of holding us back uh, in a sense, but it also makes us perhaps sociable because we need to think about the collective more mm. than ourselves. That's interesting. Is that something that you could relate to as a Midwesterner? I think so. More so probably than someone who grew up in one of the coastal cities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whenever you grow up in a city... That's not L.A. and New York, or let's say you're from Malmo instead of Stockholm or something like that. Or maybe you're from Hudiksvall or, you know, somewhere where you grow up with dreams of maybe going to the bigger city and doing big things or things, you know, something like that. There's always, I remember 
it's interesting. A lot of artists and musicians grew up in New Jersey, looking over at the big city, at New York City, and being like having dreams of it, but always being on the other side. And I think that's um, well, yeah. You, it's tough. You know, it's interesting. I've talked a lot about this sort of thing that you bring up with with friends of mine here and with friends of mine in America when they ask me about Sweden, because. Um, you know, I live in Los Angeles and there's so many Swedes there now. But I find it interesting that when, you know, especially having a Swedish girlfriend who lives with me in Los Angeles now, when we run into a Swede, if we run into a Swede, and I won't give any names, but if we run into a Swede that maybe has become famous or something and they don't sort of recognize her or, you know, not that she's famous or anything, but like, you can tell if someone's Swedish and you introduce, oh, you're from Sweden, you're from Sweden, you should, do you know each other? And sometimes they're very nice and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes they can be a little bit like, oh, I don't want to talk to any Swedes. I'm over here in America. I've gotten big now or something like that, you know? And that's so anti-Swedish. I've noticed that a lot when it's so different. Like if I was over here being an American and I ran into an American, there, I, there's nothing that some that we would expect each other to be like, oh, you're from America. Let's hang out. You no. know, it's different with Swedes. You know, you, they run into each other and like, oh, and they start speaking Swedish, and they're so grateful that someone's speaking Swedish with them in America. And and every now and again, like I said, you might run into someone where they're where you hear the my this, my Swedish friend saying, oh, they think they're so big now. They think this big shot. You know, and it's so that's so anti-Swedish. Yeah, that they've said it's like you have to always remember where you come from. Can you re relate this to a, not coming from a big city? Or I, I think it's more relatable, but still, um, it's it's very Swedish. Yeah, you know, not. I mean, but yeah, I think I think there is a comparison between being from the Midwest and when I run into someone from the Midwest, I always usually get along with them. And and there are a lot of people from the Midwest that move away from the Midwest. So I meet a lot of people in L.A. and New York that are from Cleveland that we didn't know each other growing up or something, but we might have a some mutual friend or something like that. And whenever we talk about it, it's someone I can instantly relate to because they're just sort of friendly, you know, and, and open and honest and, and not having a, a sharpened edge to them or with an agenda of how can I get what something I want from you? Or it's just sort of like, it is what it is. You know, we're, we're from where we're from. I thought perhaps that Canadians were like that. They are. Yeah. Canadians and Midwesterners are very, very similar. Okay. And Canadians and Swedes are said to be really sort of similar as well. Is that right? I've never heard that, but I could see that. Yeah. Maybe I've made it up, actually. But yeah. Well, yeah. my girlfriend's sister grew up in Canada. She grew up in Toronto. And, you know, kind of back and forth between Sweden and, and, uh, and Canada. So, And she's, you know, one of the sweetest people ever. Really humble. Anyway, and you said that you sort of wanted to get out when you grew up, or you didn't say that, but... What? I, no, I did. Yeah. The first time my parents took me to New York City, I think I was about seven years old. My mom had a half-brother there, has a half-brother there, and he worked in the theater district as a, like an accountant for one of the theaters. And uh, my parents love going to the theater, going to musicals and stuff. So when we went to New York, we went to go see a couple plays, and I remember walking around the city, say, like seeing this apartment building going, I'm going to live there. You know, at seven years old, my parents were always like, you wanted to just... You wanted to leave immediately. You wanted to hit the big city. And my, my little sister is totally opposite. She was like, uh, hated the big city. And she's still in, in Cleveland okay. with her husband. Yeah. And they love it, you know. So um, I like going home, but I also had an upbringing where 
I, I was very fortunate. I love my, my family. They're great. And I never wanted for anything. I mean, we weren't like rich, but we were totally comfortable. And uh, I don't know. I, I grew up very insecure. I think because where I grew up, it was very, I went to a school that was very uh, sports driven. And I like sports. I like to play, but I was, as you can see, I'm not like a football player, <laughs> American football, you know. But you could have been perhaps. Nay, if you would have. No. Nay. All right. Too small. Okay. Everyone grew. I was one of the smallest kids. I mean, now I'm just an average height, average uh, yeah, weight, you know, so. for, expect, for an American at least. I expected you to be shorter. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not sure why. Well, because you guys are so tall here. Well, the perhaps. Vikings. Mm. I always feel short here. But for America, I'm actually um, a couple <coughs> inches taller than the average. But where I grew up, it was very sports oriented. And my friends were all athletes and I was more artistic. Mm. And uh, it wasn't like growing up in New York or something like that, where everyone's like, oh, you, you could, where, where maybe being artistic was as appreciated as as being a star athlete so uh it took me a while i was a late bloomer it took thought, me a while to grow up and move out to the cities and meet more like-minded people that were more artistic and creative and uh and and find myself i'm still still doing that did you explore sports uh, yeah did, i yeah, played uh, sports okay you know i was, all of a, them, I was all average all of them not all of them no i played some well as you say football we yeah. say soccer tennis golf a little baseball, a little American football, a little, little basketball. I loved basketball, but again, when I was about 13, everyone got much taller than me, and uh, I wasn't quick enough anyway. So now I just watch. All right. Now I'm just yeah. a fan. Yeah, okay, but do you have a team? Yeah, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Was it expected f- at home for you to explore sports? Yes, very much so. Because your parents aren't at all into... The arts. Exactly. No. No one in my family. I was a bit of a black sheep that way. Mm-hmm. Not not in a bad way, but you know, they never really could relate. We're just different. Do you have any idea where that comes from? My mother's mother. She passed away when I was about 12. And my mom always says that I get all my artistic talent from her. Mm-hmm. That she loved to paint and sing and you know, and she didn't do anything professionally or anything like that, but it just as a hobby and she said it all passed down to me. And you started out as a painter, right? Yeah. yeah. At what age did you take up the the brush for the first time? Oh, very young. Seven, eight years old. Everything happened to you when you were seven. (laughs) Maybe I don't remember anything before that. But yeah, it was uh, my mother enrolled me in some classes on Saturdays at the Cleveland Institute of Art, which is... Did you make her do that? No. Okay. No. they, They were very supportive of my creativity. But I just wasn't around people who were who were sort of into that. And, you know, when you're a kid and you're very insecure and you're one of the smaller kids, I think it's probably pretty natural that I I just wanted to fit in. It wasn't till way later that I and that's that's actually pretty Swedish too, wanting to fit in. Yeah. I've noticed that here. Mm. When I lived in New York it was like everyone wants to stand out. 
especially with what they wear, how they look or what they say, you know, shock value or something like that. And, and here I, I noticed when the first time I came here walking down the street and I'd see like six guys walking down the street wearing the exact same outfit mm-hmm. with the same haircut and the same, you know, or, or six girls, you, they walk, you can see them in Los Angeles when you're driving down the street and you see like four blonde girls walking down the street with like white Chuck Taylors and, and, you know, you're just like, you Swedes, very much about fitting in, not, uh, you know, there's almost like a uniform. Yeah, but I think that's back to the thing about the collective that mm-hmm. we we used to be uh, farming people, I yeah. guess. So we we had to Craftsmen. stay together. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I know you guys. All all you Scandinavians are good with wood. Yeah, good good <laughs> well, making good making furniture. You know, furniture design. Every guy I know from Scandinavia knows how to build a sauna. <laughs> now you're you're making that up. No, I have a friend who's Finnish. And he built this beautiful sauna in his house in L.A. My friend, my old drummer is Danish. And uh, every time I go over his place, he's got some piece of furniture he built. That's he's a drummer, but, he, you know, just for as a hobby, he's like, you know. Okay. And so you were really insecure. Weren't you cute? I mean, did you get girls? No. All right. No. Way too insecure and shy. Yeah. And then I went off to an all boys school from age 15 or 14 to 18 before college. Why is that? It was just a better school. I was very driven academically. I actually told them I wanted to go to this school because it was the best school in the area. And I thought, well, that's the better education I have, the the more chance I have for succeeding outside this area, which was odd because looking back on it now, it was a school that was even more academically and athletically inclined. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There were some artists there, but they were almost looked at as like freaks. And I, like I said, I was too insecure to really be who I really wanted to be. So I spent so much time trying to fit in with other people that I think that's probably why it took me so long to find really what I love to do now, which is play music. I didn't start playing until I was 30. So like I said, I'm just a late bloomer. I'm very careful, very safe. I'm not a risk taker, not a like, and I've never even been on a roller coaster. I'm not okay. like a thrill seeking type of person. Yeah. Very like, I'm a coffee shop type of person. I'm sitting in a coffee shop, reading a book, having a cup of coffee and maybe a glass of wine and having a conversation with someone is like my ideal travel, like going over to Europe and sitting in French cafes and things like that. And just well, people watching. Have you tried acid? Yeah. So long ago. It, it doesn't feel like it would suit you then. No, I mean, it was fun. You know, with hallucinogens, I haven't done that sort of thing in so many years, maybe since I was 18, 19 years old. It was uh, one of those things where I remember someone around me having what they call like a bad trip. And, uh, but I never had one of those because I was, I was always pretty just a normal, okay person, you know? Yeah. I think that those hallucinogens really bring out certain things that maybe people are maybe they can hide yeah but then you take a hallucinogen and it's like any kind of drug some you know even alcohol sometimes you run into people that are like some switch flips in their in their brain and and with a few whiskeys they want to fight what they never do you know i've I've met guys like that before like i can't drink whiskey or i'll get in a fight like i never really understood that if i drink whiskey i just get tired and amiable 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but perhaps if you are insecure and if you have a lot of anger inside, that's going to come out, and that's going to. Yeah, I didn't have anger; just a lot of a lot of insecurity. Yeah, uh, a lot of uh, really shyness, and um, never wanted to be a performer. Never wanted to be in the spotlight. I always wanted to do things that were creative behind the scenes, yeah. behind the camera, or write screenplays or you know i didn't want to be the movie star i wanted to write the movie so when i started writing songs i didn't start to write songs to be a performer i never thought i could do that i just started writing songs because it was like writing in a journal and it was something that was meditative and cathartic writing a journal that you had done for a long time yeah i had done that i always kept a pad of paper in my pocket you know and a pen and write writing down my thoughts yeah Certain things that, of course, when I was younger, I thought were so <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And now I read some of them when I look back in old boxes of stuff and I'm like, oh, that's so not interesting. <laughs> no, but, but that's what we do. Yeah. You know, we grow. When was the first time that you felt that you weren't insecure? That, that I'll, you... I'll let you know when it happens. All right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, certainly it's gotten better. I'm 40 years old now. You know, I'm a man now. And I've found some success and I've been able to travel the world and people tell me, oh, your music has done this for me or, you know, so that definitely helps build your confidence. But I definitely am, unfortunately, I I try to be the other way, but if if I'm I'm honest with myself, I'm I'm probably a glasses half empty type of person. That I can relate to uh, very much, but... On the other hand, I mean, when you, obviously when you started doing music, that sort of set a direction for you, right? Mm-hmm. But and I fell into it, you know, I, like I said, I didn't set out to, when I, the first songs I wrote, I had no idea anyone would ever hear them. It was like writing in a diary. And That's really annoying, by the way. What? That it, you make it seem so easy. <laughs> you know, people have said that to me before. Yeah, but I understand that. But you have to also understand that I spent 10 years before that working in other creative mediums. Yeah totally unsuccessfully yes as a starving artist so I can relate to that as you know well. what i mean so it's I like 38 when i started doing this really again. yeah and how old are you now take a guess do you think who's I older i would say i'm older you are actually or you have no gray hair at all i'm actually i think four months older than you oh, okay or, yeah. so you're 40 you're 40 or One. you just turned 41 yeah, yeah. i'll be 41 in june yeah well, you look better than I do. <laughs> you, no. you Swedes, you have the genes, man. But you look so distinguished with your little gray hair. With, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's nice of you to say. My girlfriend thinks the same thing, luckily. Yeah, she's yeah, 13 years younger than me. So, But luckily she's an old soul and I'm a young soul. So oh, we, we balance okay. each other out. Yeah, all right. Where were we? Uh, yeah, insecurity. Mm. But obviously it must have sort of, I mean... You can't have gone like 30 years without having any type of like islands of security or... Of course, yeah. Every now and again. And like my, like I said, my parents were very supportive. My mom actually, you know, would tell me all the time I should be singing long before I did. But uh, again, I was so insecure. I just figured, oh, that's just my mom saying it because she's my mom. But she was right. It's something I, I'm glad I, I tried because... Um, it's changed my whole life. Obviously, you must have got this question before as well, but did you sing in the shower? Yeah, yeah. in the car. and yeah. I actually did a couple plays in high school because it, it was one of the only ways I could meet girls okay. because it was an all-boys school, and the girls' schools would come over and audition for the plays because we needed females in the play. So 
even though I didn't want to be on stage, I did it anyway because I was like the only kid who could sing and you could meet some girls. So, but you know, it was very quickly after a couple of plays, I realized that was not something I, I wanted to do. If I was going to be on stage, if ever, and I was going to be singing, I knew it had to be at least, I'd had to be singing words I, I'd written. And, and again, that's probably something that helped me get over some of my insecurities was, was when I opened myself up and made myself truly vulnerable and people would relate to it and say, I'm going through the same thing. That's how I connect with people because I always grew up feeling a bit alienated. I think anyone who's creative, anyone I talk to at least uh, that, that as an artist in some fashion has a bit of that alienated feeling. I think that's why we probably read Hamlet and why we read Catcher in the Rye. And it's just, uh, we relate to those characters that have something inside them that they don't feel that anyone else sees. And then when you let it out and, and someone says, ah, I'm, it's like this eureka light bulb moment. And you know, I relate to the same thing. I'm, I'm going through the same thing. You're like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm connecting to someone. And that's how I connect to people. So that's the rush for me. That's why I still do it. When was the last time you made a painting? About a year ago. Okay. so Yeah, it's very seldom. All now. right. So you kept using that expression as well? Mm, here and there. Okay. I never felt that I could really, that I had the talent to truly express myself with the paintbrush. There was no relief. You know, like if you were doing stand-up comedy, you might be thinking about something. I've never done it. I think actually that's, that's, the, that's the thing. I, when I see someone up there with just a microphone and their thoughts, that's, you know, at least I have a guitar and I, it's like a crutch and yeah. I have a, vo yeah. a voice. And even if someone doesn't like a lyric, they might like my voice. The stand-up comedy, that's the truest sense of... That and writing a novel, it's I think, are the pure. true, it's, it's the purest. I'm, I'm so envious of, of people that can do that. If someone shoots you, so to speak, you're going to have the guitar as a protection. <laughs> right. but, the, but the comedian, it's a very hard to, to sort of use the microphone. As a, exactly. Oh, well, I forgot. now I forgot what I was going to say. No, but uh, I was asking you about uh, how close you came expressing yourself with, with a paintbrush. Oh, yeah. I got very good at looking at something and being able to replicate it with a pencil or a paintbrush. And then it turned into something that was more tedious than expressive for me. And as I tried to paint from my imagination, I found that I wasn't as talented as I wanted to be. So I could have maybe made a living making very photorealistic art, but that's not my favorite kind of art. Those aren't the kind of paintings that I look at and I go, oh, that's, what I, that's what I would love to do. Who are your heroes in, in arts? Well, obviously Picasso. You know, I loved the idea early on of him being this prodigy that could paint like Rembrandt when he was like nine years old. And then was like, I'm over that. I got to invent my own way of seeing. I found that so fascinating as a young man. I still do. Did I mean, you know that Ariana Huffington wrote a book on Picasso? No. It's a really thick one. She, she, she did <laughs> a lot that, of words. <laughs> yeah, she did that like perhaps 20 years ago. So. Really? Yeah. He was a fascinating individual. Yeah, very much so. I think he was an asshole. I'm sure he was. Yeah. I mean, have you ever heard of anyone changing the game, so to speak, and being a really nice person? Like Bob Dylan in the same way. It's like, You don't meet a lot of people who say, wow, what a nice guy. 
That's true. You know, I've never wanted to meet Bob Dylan, even though he's my songwriting hero. I don't want to ruin it. I, I read uh, a piece about uh, Brian Wilson this morning. I think he might be the same type of guy, right? Could be. I don't know that much about him, but obviously he did a little too much acid, speaking of LSD, and yeah. now he's almost like a shell of an artist now, you know? And also, what a tragic, seems like what a tragic upbringing, obviously he had a, a horrible father and very violent and a lot of anger. So, uh, But still, I mean, I, I think Brian Wilson, obviously, is one of our greatest musicians of the last hundred years. I really want to find a game changer that was nice now, but I can't really think of one. I, me neither. I, it, it's something that I think about a lot, actually. Does this mean, because you're a really nice guy, does yeah, this mean... Yeah, but I'm not a game changer. You're no, not going to change no, any games. No, I'm not changing music by <laughs> any means. I'm just trying to, you know, have my little piece of... Uh, Little my little piece of the pie. I've never been like, oh, I I need to be the person 500 years from now that people look back and say, without Joshua Radin, music would be totally different. Like that's, I never thought of myself that way, and no one will ever. I'm, I guarantee you. <laughs> I just uh, I'm just one voice writing about what's going on in my life, and if I can affect a few people here and there in a positive way, great. Yeah. You know, and pay my bills doing what I love to do without having to go sit in an office somewhere or wait tables like I used to or, you know, something like that. It's have a family and move out to the countryside. And You're, you know. you're a really humble guy then. I mean, I try to be. Yeah. I mean, I think I am. Do you believe in God? <sighs> right now, no. But if we're on an airplane and it's very turbulent... <laughs> I find myself praying. Yeah, okay. Did you know, you, I'm a, a situational believer. Yeah, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But did you have a re religious upbringing? No, all? not no. at all. My parents aren't religious, and I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. I, at times, I thought maybe I was agnostic, but then I'd think, why well, put a label on any of it? I just know that the, I think the the smartest thing I could ever say about religion is that I believe in questions and not answers, and I also believe that all the major religions are rooted in love so whatever dogma you choose to follow it's fine whatever works for you you know it's just so scary when people take it too seriously and 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 think okay this is my religion that's your religion where it's a, a, a separate thing i don't believe in that i believe we're all the same and that's one of the things i love about actually playing music around the world is and one of the things i think that good music should do is shrink the world, make it a smaller place, keep us from being divided. We can all go and listen to a Beatles song. You know, it's universal. The, and, and like, I think I read somewhere that 95% of Beatles songs have the word love in them. Oh. When I read that, it was right when I started writing music and I obviously being a Beatle maniac, I was like, well, I'm going to write about love because whether it's falling in love or falling out of love, it's something we all relate to. It's something we all want whether it's platonic love or filial love or parental or romantic, it's still, it's the only thing I think about. And that's one of the things I, I feel like when I, most of the songs I listen to are older songs. I really don't listen to a lot of modern music. I mean, a lot of the songwriters that I listen to, like Neil Young and Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and, you know, guys that were like Joni Mitchell or a lot of these songs that I love were being written when there was a draft There was something to be fighting. Now it's almost like, what, what, are you, what are we fighting? What am I going to write a song about how social media is ruining us or something? Or I don't know. It just doesn't seem that important. 
the only thing I can think about that's really important to me to write about is falling in and out of love or, or interpersonal relationships or I'm not that political of a person. When you wrote your last album or the, the, the most recent one, you sort of wrote that when you were sort of meeting the girlfriend. I was that you're, wooing. Exactly. Yeah. But now I would assume that you're happy and mm -hmm. sort of... Yeah, yeah very. Is that going to be... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I haven't written a song in a while. Exactly. And we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll subconsciously uh, sabotage the entire thing. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, yeah, this is just an unabashed love letter to someone, which I've never done before. I've maybe written a song like that before, but not a full album. Huh. I didn't expect it to be an album. It just... I had one goal. I came here and I was like, I'm going to woo this woman, you know, and luckily it worked. So then I decided to record the songs and put them out. But if it hadn't worked, I probably would have been much more insecure about recording those songs and releasing them. I probably would have scrapped them and tried something else. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We have to talk a little bit about the... How I'm just going to grab a cup of coffee. Yeah, sure. You look really fit. Do you I work do, out? I do, thank you. It's nice of you to say. Do because, you work uh, out? As well? I try to do a little jogging. Okay. I just started because my girlfriend's a runner. Yeah, she's okay. getting me a little more, uh, she's inspiring me to be a little more in shape. This was a little too much sugar for a little bit of coffee. But I try, but it's tough, especially when you're traveling a lot and all you want is the little comfort of home. So last night I was like jet lagged and I went out and just ate a huge plate of pasta right before bed, which is something I, I, I normally wouldn't do. But, uh, but I, I allow myself certain things when, uh, when I'm jet lagged or when I'm traveling away from home or just to make you feel comfortable. It's important. Comfort food. Mm -hmm. That's Ohio right there. Is it? Yeah. I mean, of course, if you go there, you'll see everyone's obese, but <laughs> it's, it's all about chicken wings and macaroni and cheese and meatloaf. And it's a meat and potatoes place. Is it also really Republican? Well, where I grew up was the one county, Cuyahoga County, that was, a, it was blue. Okay. The rest was red. Actually, you know, they say in presidential elections of, of the past, uh, As Ohio goes, so goes the nation. So usually Ohio is one of those states that the candidates really try to campaign a lot in because um, it's the Midwest. It's, it's, it's like Kansas or, you know, one of those states where people, that's the pulse of the entire country, the average. And even my accent, my Midwestern accent, it's called the Letterman accent. Uh-huh, it is. Um, he's from Indiana. Yeah. Years ago, I wanted to go to university for journalism. 
And that was like I was the editor in chief of my high school newspaper. I thought maybe it would be a really interesting thing to be like a Tom Brokaw or something like that, you know, interviewing people, world leaders. And so for a moment, that was maybe a dream of mine. And I remember them telling me that the Letterman accent was the accent that all broadcasters in America have to have because that's the most relatable accent in uh-huh. America. So that, that's my accent. Okay. What you're hearing right now is the average accent. After the, the painter years, because you thought that you would be a professional painter, right? Well, it was yeah. a fantasy. And then I realized very quickly that there were about six people in the world making a living painting. Yeah. It's pretty much a dead medium. And, you know, it's one of those things where a hundred years ago, someone with a talent for visual art might have said, I want to be a painter. Over the last 50 years, it's been, uh, well, I need to make money doing this, so I'm going to be in advertising, or I'm going to be a graphic designer, or I'm going to do something with this talent I have for visual media, but uh, but not just be a painter, because, I don't know, it's been since like the 60s. since I mean, Once you put a white canvas on the wall and sign it, and where do you go from there? You know, it becomes just about... I don't know. I, I rarely see anything these days when I go to a modern, modern art museum that I'm like, whoa, that's blowing me away. Did we ever get more of your heroes than Picasso? No. Well, I we love sort of uh, Paul part. Cezanne. Yeah. Oh, those still lifes, the apples and the, and, and the, all those paintings he did of, um, what is it, the, the mountains in Saint-Victoire. I just, I can watch, I can look at those all day. De Kooning, I like. Francis Bacon, Early Jackson Pollock. I really like his stuff before the drip paintings. Hockney, I actually like. It's something that's more recent. And Edward Hopper was a big. I'm a big fan of Edward Hopper. Although that's why early. is that? He's an American artist from, you know, around the Depression era. There's something about his paintings that it's it's. I don't know. It's he, very figurative, but it sort of has a, a blueness to it. Or? Yeah, very alienated, and you can tell he was. He seemed very lonely. And I, I love his style, too. It's not just what he depicts in the pictures. It's also the way he paints it. I, I find fascinating, and it's so unique. Almost like Alex Katz nowadays. You know Alex Katz? If you saw one of his paintings of, of faces, you would see and be like, okay, that's yeah. sort of like Francesco Clemente. When you see his paintings, you're like, you know right away that's these big eyes and a lot of gouache and watercolor. And Anyway, sorry. Yeah, all right. At some point, you started writing uh, scripts instead. Uh-huh. When was that? I did yeah. that for six years. I kind of gave up the brush, and I went to South Africa. I was living in Chicago. I was an art teacher for little kids, these little inner-city kids. They were about 10 years old. They were all on scholarship at this private school, and I had all the scholarship kids. They were amazing. And just teaching them how to draw. You okay. Know? Did you find any Picassos in there? <laughs> no. <laughs> But they were very eager to learn, and that was cool. And uh, I decided that I wanted to go somewhere that I had never been, just somewhere on the other side of the earth. And it was freezing in Chicago in the winter. So I decided, I looked at the map and I looked at, I said, All right, I'm going to Cape Town, South Africa. I just figured it's on the other side of the world and it's warm there right now. And it's supposed to be this beautiful place. And I'd never been to Africa and... That'd be cool. And at the time, it was super cheap. It was expensive to fly there, but the dollar went so far there that it was like a beer was like a quarter. You know, it's like, so it's like, all right, I'm going. And I quit my job and I flew over there and I lived there for a year on my savings. And uh, I, I wrote my first screenplay. 
I never told anyone about this actually, but it was about um, two best friends who grew up together, and one was a painter and one was a soccer player. So it was very much about uh, that dichotomy that was within within me of uh, feeling creative, but you know, and it had a it had a bit of a Fight Club kind of thing where they were eventually going to reveal that it was the same person. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway, it was so pretentious. And yeah. Of course, of your your first screenplay, and I was terrible at accepting notes from people my my friend at the time from college was harvey weinstein's assistant you know so basically just a guy to get him cigarettes and diet cokes that's what he did all day but he went to film school so i he was the only one i knew who went to film school at the time so i sent him my script and he was like okay well there are interesting things in here but this isn't a script i never had read a script i didn't even know how you i just loved movies and i just started writing i didn't i had it was just so now looking back at it now it's so so amateurish it was like writing your first song and it was 40 minutes long <laughs> you know and, and you give it to your musician friend and they're like yeah there's some good stuff in there but you know it's 40 minutes <laughs> <laughs> no but anyway i mean perhaps some of the greatest songs in history are 40 minutes long we right. just but i was trying to sell yet. the screenplay yeah. to make a movie you yeah know? it was a, it was anyway it was a good exercise so i started writing more i wrote six screenplays all for movies as feature films yeah. yeah i ended up selling two of them to a production company in new york who optioned them and then they would re-option them when the when the option would run out but they never ended up making them so it was so frustrating and that's when i picked up the guitar do you owe them now i own, own them. yeah yeah but okay. they're not good okay <laughs> i mean they're not good enough all right I, and i wasn't writing from it just i wasn't writing what i know i was writing comedy from my imagination like these big After that first script, I decided I, was, I wanted to write comedy, and I was like, I'm going to write these big, uh, big budget sort of Will Ferrell-esque comedies. All right. But I just wasn't, it just wasn't my forte. And, uh, But are you a funny guy? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend tells me I am. I think when I'm with the right people, of course, but I think that's true for everybody. You know, if you're with your best friends, you're the closest people to you or your family, um, and you're cracking up all the time. I, I don't know. I'm not that person who's on all the time. I have friends who are comedians who are just, I mean, they never shut up. And a lot of times it's hilarious. But a lot of times you're like, man, just turn it off for a second. Let's have a conversation. So that, I, I've never been that guy. Obviously, what you needed to express, anyway, from looking at your music, it wasn't really comedic. Comedic, or, no. no. But a lot of times when people come to see me play in concert, I, I tend to it, when I'm when I become very comfortable on stage. In between a couple sad songs, I'll be joking around on yeah. stage, not trying to take the pretentiousness out of the set because I'm never going to be that guy who just sits there and is like weeping on stage and and then okay, thank you, and I leave the stage. You know, there's got to be some re some release of the tension. Have you m sort of come up with jokes that you keep from gig to gig? Mm. Every now and again, I might say something off the cuff, and if it gets a big laugh, you know, you I don't try. I don't. I don't try to keep it, but it just comes out again because I'm like, you know, as a performer, you're just trying to do whatever you can to of keep course. the audience interested. Yeah. yeah. So some, it's just a desperate, you know. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. Anything. It's like yeah. one of those. I don't blame any performer when they go off on something. You're just kind of like, I know how that feels. You just, you just feel so naked and exposed. Anything can come out of your mouth. You know. Yeah. I find sure. that when my the, the biggest laughs I get on stage are usually when I'm most 
the most self-deprecating because I think when you do what I do, there is an air of pretentiousness to the singer-songwriter, you know, the, the guy that takes himself too seriously. And so whenever I make fun of myself, it releases a lot of tension in the room. Speaking of which, I was discussing this with my wife this morning. Are there any sort of ghetto singer-songwriters in the U.S.? What do you mean? Because it seems like a middle-class art form, sort of. What do you mean ghetto? I mean, like, people from... Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't... It's uh, a good question. I don't know. I, I have no idea. No, I would assume that hip-hop would <laughs> would be my go-to guess, if yeah. I had to guess what the sort of working class of the U.S. would express with, yeah. or perhaps blues. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, You don't hear a lot of also very, like great songwriters who grew up really wealthy especially kids of songwriters you know no, what i mean exactly that all become songwriters they're yeah. always like okay you're pretty good but they always get compared to their genius father or mother and it's always like eh, it's okay but there's not a lot of struggle there there yeah. might be the wayne be some sort of struggle the wayne writes yeah that's true rufus wainwright's a great songwriter yeah. and loudon's father they come from an entire family of yeah of great songwriters kate mcgarrigle their mother and Grand Parsons grew up really wealthy. I think. Did he? Yeah. Actually, you know what? Now that you say it, I didn't know that, but um, Nick Drake grew up very wealthy too. Oh, I did. Yeah. Okay. And very, very dark. Uh, yes. Very, uh, but wow, what a talent! Yeah. We lost someone there that could have given us amazing songs forever. I yeah. guess that's how it is with like an Elliot Smith or, uh, you know, it's yeah. tragic. I, I very much. I'm inspired by artists like that, but I'm so different from that personally. So I don't try to be anyone but myself. But I think it would just be weird if I tried so hard to be dark and sad and depressed. And you know, luckily, I've never had to really deal with depression. So i I would feel I would feel like such a phony if I. I would feel like I was really taking something away from all those people who do suffer from depression that might hear something of mine and be like, "Oh, he." Oh, no, he's not. Oh, he's just faking it. It's just, uh, that's, it's like shaving your head or something and pretending you have cancer or something. I don't know. It's it's a disease. You know, you yeah. don't, you don't fake something like that. Most people don't suffer from depressions. Maybe your sort of darkness is more relatable for a, probably, for a big, yeah. Like, I think I have bouts with it every now and again, like a normal human being. Yeah. Like maybe sometimes I'm sad. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Luckily, I don't have to deal with it as a clinical thing. Do you have a healthy relationship to alcohol and, and, yeah. and drugs? Yep. I would say, well, that drugs, I mean, that was something I did in my youth more so like to try to come out of my shell like most yeah. people do. Now the occasional joint or something like that or... But no really hard drugs or anything like that. And and with alcohol, I do drink often, but not a lot. That's that makes good. sense? Yeah, yeah. Especially on tour, you know, it's I always have a whiskey before I go on stage just to sort of loosen up. But it's a really watered down one with ice and just to kind of loosen up my banter in between the songs. So I feel like I want to talk to the crowd and feel more comfortable. And then maybe I get off stage and have a glass of red wine. And that's that, it. But that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I'm very rarely drunk. Speaking of which, this is probably not what you get to talk about much, but are you pro-legalization of uh, marijuana? I'm pro-legalization of everything. That's interesting. How come? I just think that uh, people should be able to decide what they put in their body or what they do to their body. I'm not really for government telling us. I mean, certain things, obviously, there should be. I wish we were talking about this yesterday with my band. One of them had never been over here before. He's a new member of my band and... 
he was amazed. He was like, no, there's no obesity here. I mean, walking down the street, there's no one fat. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, they don't have high fructose corn syrup. They use real sugar. You know, the food is made with real ingredients. <laughs> you, <Yeah. know? laughs> you guys know what you're doing over here. So when it comes to that sort of thing, I do think the government needs to be a little more involved because in America, it's just even the difference between American McDonald's and McDonald's over here. I mean, obviously, they're both crap. But if you have to, in the middle of the night, go on tour and you stop at McDonald's to get some French fries or something like that as you're hungry, you don't wake up feeling horrible the next day. In America, you wake up feeling horrible the next day because uh-huh. it's, it's different. Everything to make money. They sprinkle it with some kind of poison it's over there. Something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> no? but it's, it's certainly like... Uh, I wish America was more like Europe in that in that sense, in, in terms of our food. So what you're saying is that you think that there should be more tax on on, on junk food, or yeah, I think in America, it sh- you know, drugs should be legal, but they should tax it. Okay. It's a vice, but okay, it's like what they do with alcohol. I, I, you know, it's just it has to do with the lobbyists and who's making money off what. You know, it's always in America, it's just big business. But Some lobbyist for alcohol said, "We're doing this." Where and tobacco, it's tobacco is so much worse for you than marijuana. So, are you a libertarian? No, nah, I wouldn't say so. I, I would say I'm for intelligent people. <laughs> I, tr- I wish people were more literate, and then I think we'd have a lot easier time taking care of each other. I was sort of trying to meditate over you. <laughs> uh, on, don't do it too long no but uh, i'm not that complicated <laughs> well that's what i do for for sort of research and if i had to just ask you one single question and i don't mean to be rude but what's your problem i mean what's your biggest problem why would that be rude i'm not sure oh. perhaps it sounds offensive <laughs> no not at all biggest problem wow uh, that's a good question well luckily i don't really think think that i have a big problem i think i have problems like everybody does like do you have 99 problems <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you can be funny in a second language thank you <laughs> it's impressive I, i don't know right now my problem my biggest problem is jet lag yeah okay <laughs> then you're quite a very fortunate. lucky yeah yeah no i mean i love my friends i love my family i love my girlfriend i I love that I get to do what I love to do for a living. I mean, I really do wake up every day thinking, how did I get this life? I know that sounds annoying. It probably sounds fake, but I don't have really much to complain about. I did just lose my best friend and guitar player to another band. <laughs> but again, it's not like a, it's a high class problem, but it was, it was very sad. He's been playing with me for seven years. Who and took him? Another band, actually one of my favorite bands that I introduced him to. A couple years ago. Okay. Which one is that? They're called Lord Huron. And they just released their second album. Right. But good Midwestern guys. And I get it. And it was a better opportunity for him. So I was, I was happier for him than I was sad for me. But I was still sad. And mm-hmm. I went everywhere with this guy. All over the world for seven years. He was with me more than any other human being. Okay. Everywhere we went. And now I don't get to see him as much. You know, now we're going to be touring in different places. And we live a mile apart at home. But So we'll see each other a bunch. But... Um, But it was really, that happened just a, a few weeks ago. And it was really, really, I didn't think it would be so devastating, but it was. I still feel it, like a, like I'm missing a, like a phantom limb or something. He was like my partner in crime for seven years. Was, and, and the guy that replaced him now is fantastic. 
<laughs> but he's brand new, and it's yeah. like we have to. I have to make this whole new relationship, and we're we're sitting down at breakfast. And I'm like, okay, you know, we have to. Yeah. You know, it would have been funny if you said that he was a douche. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have hired him. Then. No, and actually, he's he he's been being mentored from my friend for the last five years. Okay, so he kind of handed down the gig. Is he a Midwesterner as well? No, they're both California guys. Okay. But still yeah. nice. Super nice. Yeah. That's a prerequisite for being in my band. It's all about the hang. Most of the time you're traveling around with a band, you're not playing music. You're not talking about music. You're not listening to music. You're just having a beer, shooting the shit. You know, it's, uh, it's all about the hang. There's a lot of guys out there that can play. Not a lot of people that can hang with you all the time and you not get sick of. I'm thinking about the fact that you're a late bloomer. You started writing music at the age of 30. I started playing music at 30 and started yeah. writing it about six months later. Okay. So, so you'd pick up the guitar at the age of 30? Mm -hmm. About 29, 29 and a half. How come? It was meditative. I was writing my sixth screenplay. I was living in New York. There was a coffee shop below my apartment, and I'd go down there and write you know, on my laptop. Where are we in, in New York? In the East Village. And uh, I was so frustrated. Some, like I said, so many things had happened where I almost got a movie made. And it's like... How did you make a living? Well, I, was, I sold a couple of those screenplays, so I was barely getting by. It was okay. not a lot of money, but it was enough to pay the rent. But I was living on about $10 a day for food for yeah. years, for a long time. you know. And, or then I'd pick up a job serving at a restaurant or something like that to make a little, save a little money and then be able to write. So I'd go back up to my apartment. If I was stuck in a scene, I didn't know what the character was going to say. And I was so frustrated already because so many times that business is about trying to attach people you know okay i've got this guy that wants to be in the movie and maybe he can bring someone else and he can bring some financing and he can bring and it's just oh so hard so i'd go up to the apartment i'd pick up the guitar and i'd learn a new chord so and i would just sit there and strum this like one chord you know like the g chord over and over again like it was a meditation did you go buy a guitar for this my dad bought me a guitar okay as a gift all right i didn't have enough money to buy a nice one and i knew that if i bought like a really really shitty guitar i wouldn't play it so i asked my dad for my birthday he said what do you, you know do you want a birthday present this year and we were never like a big birthday gift family but i was like i really would like a nice guitar and i know that will guilt me into playing it you know and practicing because if it's sitting there in the corner of the room and i knew that it was expensive and that i was lucky to have it that that i would I would play it, and I did. And I always recommend that to other artists who are starting out playing. I said, don't buy a shitty guitar or any instrument that's crappy. Mm. Buy something with all your money or whatever you've got. So when you look at it, you go, I got to play that. You know, It's the same thing with gym cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you, if you buy one for a really expensive gym, you're, you're going to go you're there. You're going to go. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'd go up to the apartment. I'd sit there and strum. And I'd try to learn like a Bob Dylan song that was maybe had like G, C, and D, you know, like three chords or something. Mm. And after learning a few chords, one of my friends who was a songwriter, just an amateur songwriter, he one day told me, it's that age old adage to write a good song, you just need three chords and the truth. And I had learned three chords. So I figured, well, I'll try to write a song. And uh, the moment I picked up the guitar and wrote that first song, I played it for my girlfriend at the time. And she was like, this is what you should be doing. And it felt like home. You know, it felt like this is how I can really, I, I opened myself up. I made myself totally vulnerable. I, I was scared to play her the song because it was about us and it was about our six-year relationship coming to an end. I didn't know how to tell her. 
and I couldn't believe how cathartic it was. Did she uh, catch the drift? In a sense, but I lied and said this is this, it's made up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know. But then you know the relationship was over six months later. And that was my first real relationship. So I felt like I had creatively found a home. This sounds almost like you are having a thirty-year-old crisis, as yeah, we would exactly say. Exactly what it was. Yeah, about six months before my thirtieth birthday. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow, God, I got to do something." I feel like such a loser. I mean, I shouldn't have. I was just a struggling artist. But at the time, I felt like, you know, being in New York, you're surrounded by wealth and success, and you're walking down the street just surrounded by it, mm. and it's tough. It's not like you're out in the woods. And I had a girlfriend who was. The only thing we ever argued about was money because I I didn't care about it and she wanted it, so I was very lucky to be able to find something that I could creatively express myself that that deeply. Up until this point, what would you say? Because this must have been the most true piece that you created. But up until this point, what was the second or was nothing? I had nothing. never written anything that I really exposed myself. Okay. And that's why I think it worked right away. So right it was away. sort of a super game changer for you. It was immediate, and I didn't. Everything before I had creatively s- sought an audience, yeah, and didn't find one. And this is the first time I ever tried to do something creatively where the audience came and found me. I mean, that first song I wrote was on a TV show three weeks later. I know a demo of it. Um, I had met some people in Hollywood, you know, by screenwriting, and so when I started writing songs, I. I gave that demo to a friend of mine who was on a TV show, Scrubs. Suck breath. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and we were uh, we were very close friends at the time. And he was like, "You play guitar?" You write? And I was like, "Not really." And he was like, "You write songs?" And I said, "Not really. I wrote one." And I played it for him. I couldn't even look at him in the apartment when I played it for him. I was so yeah. bashful. But you played it live. Sorry. Yeah, I played it yeah. for him because he saw the guitar sitting there and he was like, "You play that?" No, because no one knew. I just do it by myself. So I played him the song. He was like, "Are you kidding me? What are you doing? Why aren't you doing this for a living?" Yeah, yeah. So I said, uh, "Wow, okay." Well, and I respected his opinion. So he said, "Why don't you make a demo of that, and I'll send it to the producer of the show." And they're always looking for new music. They used, you know, eight songs an episode. They're always looking for some someone who's not expensive, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you're not expensive because you're not, you know. So three weeks later, I sent this little demo of just me playing this song, and the, and Bill Lawrence, the creator of the show, he called me and he goes, "Do you mind if we use that song in the show?" And I was like, "Are you kidding?" Okay, and uh, the song aired in the episode, and I watched it with my girlfriend, and and we were like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, my friend is when MySpace happened, you know, and I didn't know anything about computers, and he gave me a little tip. He 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 built me a MySpace page and just put that song on it, and it shut down like the NBC, the the network website from so many people trying to find out whose song that was. And then right there, and then I was like, I'm never going back to anything else unless it's a hobby. Like this is what I'm doing. You must have told this to a million people by now in every interview. Yeah, but you seem to sort of don't mind. Well, it still amazes me. Yeah, I still look at it as so surreal. Yeah, and it's, so I'm amazed as you are when I'm telling you the story. Still, ten years later, I must say I told you before, but it really pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean, I've been sort of writing half songs for oh, half really? my you, life. You yeah, yeah, for thirty years or twenty-five at least. But I still have. I don't I've, think it was. Believe me, buddy, it's, it has nothing to do with that song being amazing. 
It was well, just, it was like a lightning in a bottle type thing. You know, it was a timing thing and it happened to be, my best friend happened to be no, uh, on a TV show no, and it happened, no. all these things kind of happened. Yeah, yeah. But that but, happens in my life a lot. Yeah, but you also are incredibly talented. Well, thank you, but I, I, I truly don't really see it that way. I really do think I'm very, very lucky. And I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. You. I'm trying to be. <laughs> we all want to do other things too. I would, you know, like I said, if I could give it all up and be a successful stand-up comedian, I would do it in a heartbeat. You would. I would. Yeah. Who are your heroes then? I mean, if I could do what Louis C.K. Yeah, is doing, I, I watch that guy and I'm like, that's the dream. I mean, who? That's like the coolest thing you can do. Yeah. Is he's amazing? He's amazing. Are you a feminist? I guess. I don't know. Like I said, you're going to have a tough time trying to get me to put a label on anything of what I am. My girlfriend says she's a feminist, but I'm like, I don't really know what that means. I just believe that men and women are equal. If that makes me a feminist, I guess so. But I, It's I, a good it, start. When I, when I say, when, when people say I'm a feminist, I, to me it sounds like you're saying women are better. I just think we're all the same. Mm. Not the same, but, you know, equal. I think women should get paid what men get paid for the same job. I think in a lot of ways women are more intelligent, but uh, that probably comes with being able to create a child inside you. It's got to be a humbling experience I, and a powerful one at the same time, you know. I would assume that if you would be a feminist, and don't take this as uh, criticism, but mm. I would assume that if you would really be a feminist, then you would sort of try <laughs> more to talk about women in interviews and so forth. What do you Because, mean? Well, every time I've asked you about your heroes... And also, I've listened and read a, a bunch of other interviews with you. It's all men. Yeah. And I mean, I can relate to that. But at some point, I understood that, well, if I'm going to change something, I have to sort of walk the extra mile to invite as many women to my show as men. I have to talk about women as much as I talk about men when, mm -hmm. I, when I'm talking about my heroes and so forth. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I've never had anyone bring that up to me. I've never really thought about it. I do listen to a lot of female artists. Which ones? I like Laura Marling. I think she's fantastic. Well, like I said, I've mentioned Joni Mitchell before. She's been in my mind because she was ill. Yeah, I know. Um, Carol that, King. Okay. I love yeah. as a songwriter. Yeah. I love, I actually mentioned in one of my songs, Mary Cassatt, the painter. And I mentioned Simone de Beauvoir in, in that same song. I love Nina Simone, Ella Fitzgerald, obviously. It's funny, you know, when I make a playlist, I, I should pull out my phone. I have like a Spotify playlist that I play in my car when I'm driving around. And there, there's a lot of... Patty Griffin is one of my favorite songwriters of all time. These are great tips. By the way, I heard an interview like perhaps one or two years back when you were talking about moving back to New York. Mm -hmm. That never happened or did you buy an apartment there as well? I did. I moved. I lived in New York for six years. Then I went out to L.A. when that girl and I broke up and I started writing music. Moved out to L.A. for three years, then moved back to New York for three years. And now I've been in L.A. for four years. Okay. So it's been a back and forth. And usually it was from a breakup. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's kind of common, actually, in in, uh -huh. in in the world I live in, where I, I made a lot of people where they're like, they go back and forth from New York and L.A., and like it ends up being because they broke up with someone and they just want to like get away uh -huh. and need, to, need a fresh start and don't want to run into them. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Interesting. Let's just hope that the, the girls or the second part don't do the same. What do you mean? 
Well, if the other part would move as well. Oh, yeah. You're, you're <laughs> going to be in trouble. <laughs> well, the first girl did actually move out to L.A. after we broke up. And I was like, let's move out to L.A. And she's like, no, I want to stay in New York. We broke up. I move out to L.A. And a year later, she comes out to L.A. and, got, and gets married. Oh, okay. Water on the oh, bridge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm so very, very, that's the best thing that ever happened to me that oh. we broke up, I think. Yeah. I really came into my own and grew up a lot after that first breakup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you were... Oh, do you want to hear more? Yeah, sure. Please. I was just finding the playlist. Aretha Franklin. Kathleen Edwards. Do you know her? No. She's a Canadian singer-songwriter that actually, weirdly enough, I just read that she just retired. Uh She's she's our age. She was like, I'm just sick of it. She opened up a coffee shop called Quitters. (laughs) All right. In in Ontario, where she's from. And she made this record called Voyager a couple years ago that, you know, Justin Vernon, Bonnie Vare? Yeah. They were dating at the time, and he produced the album. And I think it's one of the best. I, I, I tweeted about it, actually. I put it on my social media everywhere. I was like, this is the best album of the year. And it was my album of the moment for a while. I really, it's such a shame that she's not doing that anymore. Fantastic. Aoife O'Donovan, she sings on my album, uh, Harmony, on, on one of these records. I, I saw her play once, and it was like, she, she just blew me away. Linda Ronstadt. Anyway, that, those are the women on this on this playlist I've yeah. been listening to a lot. But yeah, if, if, if your listeners don't know Kathleen Edwards, that record Voyager is uh, it, it's a must, I yeah. think, for anyone who really loves a good lyric. Fantastic, thank you. Sure. Would you like to recommend something, anything? You know, a lot of people that come see me play, there's a lot of younger people than me. And so I love telling people, like a lot of those kids, about certain films or books that I love because uh, sometimes... They're like, what, you know, what is that? Like The Graduate, for instance, you yeah. know, one of my favorite films of all time, especially when you're talking about pieces of art that are, that deal in alienation. It also has a great uh, soundtrack, right? Perfect soundtrack. Mm. And same with Harold and Maude, one of my favorite films too, Hal Ashby directed, and also has an amazing soundtrack, all by Cat Stevens. Are you a film buff? Yeah. Still? I guess I'm a cinephile. I like all sorts of films. I like silly, stupid comedies. I don't really like horror films. Me I'm not, neither. I'm not like a scary movie guy. I don't want to get in touch that, with those feelings. <laughs> exactly. Sure I use it to escape. Yeah. You know, I just want to, I want to laugh a little bit or cry a little bit or have it be romantic or, or something that I, I want to be in that world for mm-hmm. a moment. I've never been able to relate to people that were like, love gory. I don't get it. That's really strange. Do you have a favorite theater? Or? Well, I just love going to the Arclight, yeah. you know, in Hollywood because yeah. it's... It's just one of those places where you spend maybe a little a little extra money, maybe it's a couple more dollars, but you get to pick your seat before you go. You don't have to wait in line. And the seats are big, and it's just really nice. You can get good food there. You can oh. drink a beer. Who do you think I should interview on Varvet? I think you should go find Kathleen Edwards and ask her why she quit. I will. Because uh, I would like to know. Yeah, Because I've I'll never try. met her. I'll try. You can't be that good and quit. I want more music from her. If she has a coffee shop in Ontario, she can't be that hard to find, right? Yeah, right. So I'll I'll have to go to Ontario. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Taksimuket. Please take it away. Okay. Let me what you gonna play for us? I don't know. Maybe I won't play something off the new album. Yeah, sure. I'll play my favorite song off the new record. So this is uh, the first track off my new album, Onward and Sideways. Yeah. And it's called We'll Keep Running Forever. Thank you.
You've been gone all day. I wait for you alone. Writing down the words I say. So I'll be brave when you're home. Sometimes it's hard to believe in moments we hardly ever see. Try, we may fall, but we get up again, and we know that our road is better with every bend. So we climb ever higher, knowing there's never an end. We'll keep running forever. I hear your car outside. Wonder why we're waiting. Too scared to cross the driveway. I'd come to meet you, but it's raining. So I wait for you to call, 'cause you're the only one who's made me fall. And we try, we may. Better with every bend, so we climb ever higher, knowing there's never an end. We'll keep running forever. Yeah, we'll keep running forever. 'Cause we all need somebody, someone who knows to keep it smooth when it's rocky. Well, I do all those. And I think you're that somebody, but I'm scared to let it show. Cause you're the only one who's made me fall. And we try, we may fall, but we get up again, and we know that our road. Better with every bend, so we climb ever higher, knowing there's never an end. We'll keep running forever. Yeah, we'll keep running forever. I hear your car outside. Wonder why. Tack så mycket. If you open a dictionary, you might just find Joshua Radin next to the expression "salt of the earth." He's a fantastic guy. I'm not sure that "salt of the earth" will be in a dictionary, but anyway, it means a super nice person, and Joshua Radin is one of those. I'm sure. So, thank you uh, for taking the time, Joshua. And if you, listener, want to keep up with him, he is Joshua Radin on both Instagram and Twitter. And he also has a website called joshuaradin.com.
Okay, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So stay tuned and please uh, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. You can do that in uh, almost any pod app, I would assume. For instance, Acast. Cheers. Bye.